You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who is your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? Y'all you know I mean? Dig into the real history of this country. And the fact that it was built on blood. You can't be neutral on a moving train, 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 train. Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism. Taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can follow on Twitter at YCBNeutral. You can check out all the back episodes and find a link to send me a message at youcan'tbeneutral.com. You'll also find some links there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. First up, a piece written by William Rivers Pitt, published at truthout.org. The western states have been stuck in a blast furnace of hot weather as spring transitions to summer. Record-breaking heat, drought, and extreme stress to power grids have almost half the country in deep distress. The last couple of days have seen a small reprieve, but that's about to end. Quote, The National Weather Service is warning of a record-breaking and dangerous heat wave hitting this weekend and early next week, reports Brian Kahn for Gizmodo. Weather models are also coalescing around blistering heat. If the forecasts come to fruition... We're not just talking about a few daily records falling here and there. We're talking about a heat wave for the ages that could absolutely destroy all-time records from Washington to California, as well as parts of Canada. According to a terrifying, massive, and excruciatingly detailed report by the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, which was obtained by Agence France Press, AFP, what is happening out west is not a meteorological fluke, but a hard look at the immediate future of the planet. Quote, Species extinction, more widespread disease, unlivable heat, ecosystem collapse, cities menaced by rising seas. These and other devastating climate impacts are accelerating and bound to become painfully obvious before a child born today turns 30 reports AFP. If the data and conclusions in this IPCC report are accurate, what immediately awaits us is staggering. Quote, By far the most comprehensive catalog ever assembled of how climate change is upending our world, the report reads like a 4,000-page indictment of humanity's stewardship of the planet. But the document designed to influence critical policy decisions is not scheduled for release until February 2022. Too late for crunch UN summits this year on climate, biodiversity, and food systems, some scientists say. The challenges it highlights are systemic, woven into the very fabric of daily life. They are also deeply unfair. Those least responsible for global warming will suffer disproportionately, the report makes clear. And it shows that even as we spew record amounts of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, we are undermining the capacity of forests and oceans to absorb them, turning our greatest natural allies in the fight against warming into enemies. It warns us that previous major climate shocks dramatically altered the environment and wiped out most species, 
raising the question of whether humanity is sowing the seeds of its own demise. Life on Earth can recover from a drastic climate shift by evolving into new species and creating new ecosystems, it says. Humans cannot. Beyond the dire warnings contained in the report, the assessment of current efforts to curtail climate disruption is damning. One example offered is a 2015 Paris Agreement, which seeks to limit global warming to a 1.5 degrees Celsius increase, two degrees at most. This was based on the assumption that the Earth would not warm that much before the year 2100. According to the data included in the report, on current trends, we're heading for 3 degrees Celsius at best. Last month, the World Meteorological Organization projected a 40% chance that the Earth will cross the 1.5 degree threshold for at least one year by 2026. In other words, nearly every idea floated by governments to address climate disruption is woefully insufficient and out of date. Quote, Current levels of adaption will be inadequate to respond to the future climate risks, reads the IPCC report. Billions face the threat of coastal destruction, drought, famine, fire, and plague. Not after 2100, but today, tomorrow, and the day after that. All of this is already happening, and much of it cannot be stopped. This is no longer a theoretical exercise to solve a problem that is 80 years away. This is now. One immediate example is the drought-ridden West and the massive conflagrations caused by the high heat and dry air. Quote, when wildfires blaze across the West as they have with increasing ferocity as the region has warmed, the focus is often on the immediate devastation, forests destroyed, infrastructure damaged, homes burned, lives lost, reports the New York Times. But about two-thirds of drinking water in the United States originates in forests. And when wildfires affect watersheds, cities can face a different kind of impact long after the flames are out. While the report takes a dim view of current efforts to curtail climate disruption, its message is not entirely pessimistic. Much of the damage to come is already baked into the situation, yet areas of significant mitigation are possible but only if action is taken immediately. Quote, There is very little good news in the report, reads the AFP dispatch, but the IPCC stresses that much can be done to avoid worst-case scenarios and prepare for impacts that can no longer be averted. But simply swapping a gas guzzler for a Tesla or planting billions of trees to offset business as usual isn't going to cut it, the report warns. We need transformational change operating on processes and behaviors at all levels, individual, communities, businesses, institutions, and governments, reads the IPCC report. We must redefine our way of life and consumption. Is the United States capable of such a radical transformation? We can't get people to wear masks in order to save their own lives and the lives of their loved ones. There are millions of dollars to be made lying to a large segment of the population about issues like climate disruption, and our governing bodies cannot summon the necessary majority to fix a pothole. Our capitalism is driving everything that is murdering the environment, oil, war, consumption, and that capitalism has powerful defenders.
if the western U.S. goes up in flames like an untended tinderbox and California's huge economy is derailed, if another major city like New Orleans is devoured by a climate storm, if the United States sees a sharp uptick in displaced climate refugees fleeing for their lives, maybe Mitch McConnell will forgo the filibuster and let a solution come to a vote. But I am not holding my breath. I always wince when I hear someone say we are destroying the planet. The planet is just fine, thank you very much, four billion years and counting. And we humans are to this space-bound orb what amounts to an annoying summer cold. Next up, Earth appears prepared to announce. Let's see if another species can do better in a few million years. Pardon the mess, the last tenants were real assholes. For our own sake, for the sake of all life, and in the name of simple enlightened self-interest, we need to change everything about how we exist as creatures on this planet, and we need to do it now. It is almost, but not quite, too late. It may be almost, but not quite too late, but based on the actions that our governments and industries are taking, it's too late. Next up, a piece by Jessica Corbett, published at CommonDreams.org. Climate activists and experts responded with alarm Wednesday to some parts of a White House memo obtained and reported on by Axios, outlining Biden administration plans for climate and energy provisions in evolving budget reconciliation legislation. The memo, dated for Tuesday, was addressed to members of President Joe Biden's cabinet from domestic climate advisor Gina McCarthy and senior advisor Anita Dunn. It comes as Democrats are working on a reconciliation package to pass alongside a bipartisan infrastructure deal announced last week by Biden and centrist federal lawmakers. The four-page document details key components of the bipartisan infrastructure framework, quote, that advanced President Biden's American Jobs Plan and vision to build back better and tackle the climate crisis, including investments in clean water and electric vehicle infrastructure, addressing legacy pollution, modernizing the country's electrical grid, and resilience programs. Quote, As President Biden has noted, the bipartisan infrastructure framework leaves out critical initiatives on climate change that he proposed as part of his Build Back Better agenda, the memo says. That is why he intends to work with Congress through the budget process to pass additional legislation that will position the U.S. to combat climate change, create good-paying union jobs, and win the clean energy future. According to the memo, components of the American Jobs Plan, which Biden unveiled earlier this year, followed by the American Families Plan that the president remains committed to advancing, include providing tax cuts for businesses and consumers who invest in clean energy technologies like renewables, battery storage, and electric vehicles, sending a market signal that brings additional private investment off the sidelines and into modernizing our electric grid through an energy efficiency and clean electric standard, EECES, and mobilizing the next generation of conservation and resilience workers with a $10 billion investment to conserve and restore our public lands and waters, bolster resilience, and address environmental injustice, all while maximizing the creation of accessible training opportunities to create a pathway for good-paying union jobs. The concept of a civilian climate corps 
has strong bipartisan support. Quote, we will also continue to advance the full suite of proposals in the American Jobs Plan and American Families Plan through additional congressional action, including budget reconciliation, to ensure we build back our economy and country better, the memo adds. Some parts of the memo may please progressive climate activists and policymakers, such as the stated support for creating a CCC, for which the Green New Deal leaders, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ed Markey proposed legislation earlier this year. However, progressive green groups raised alarm about the memo's language regarding an EECES, which would require a certain share of the electricity to come from clean sources. Axios noted that during a live-streamed interview with Punchbowl News on Wednesday, McCarthy pointed to it as one of the non-negotiable items in the reconciliation legislation, saying, quote, We need that second package. We need tax credits. We need a clean energy standard. We'd love to see a civilian climate core. In a statement Wednesday, Food and Water Watch Policy Director Mitch Jones warned that the memo should concern climate activists, quote, the Biden administration has consistently pledged support for a clean energy standard, but only a weak one that would qualify dirty energy sources like fracked gas and nuclear power as clean, said Jones. Meanwhile, the White House continually praises far-fetched pro-industry projects like carbon capture as a viable solution to drastically reducing climate emissions. This approach is foolish and dangerous. This new memo, ostensibly designed to appease climate activists, should be seen for what it is. Little to nothing of substance, he continued. Instead of explicitly supporting a bona fide standard for clean renewable energy, McCarthy's memo touts market signals and the leveraging of deeply flawed existing energy systems. This is not a bold agenda. It is a technocratic market speak that is decades out of date. Jones added that, quote, if the White House wants us to believe it is taking the climate crisis seriously, this memo does the opposite. Food and Water Watch was one of the convening partners of a May letter, backed by hundreds of groups, that urged congressional Democrats to, quote, reject gas and other false climate solutions, and instead pursue a total transition to renewable energy to combat the climate emergency. Friends of the Earth U.S., another initial partner on last month's letter, also expressed concern about the energy standard language in the memo. Quote, Democrats are once again throwing the climate justice movement under the bus, declared Friends of the Earth program manager Lucas Ross. Democrats have yet to write a single clean energy standard that excludes fracked gas and other false solutions. Climate activists aren't fooled by technology-neutral gimmicks said Ross. Biden should not encourage proposals that peddle false solutions or that bargain away fossil fuel subsidy repeal. FOE's statement pointed out that the memo makes no mention of repealing fossil fuel subsidies, which was a key provision of the American Jobs Plan. The memo was sent to the cabinet the same day climate activists and progressives in Congress held a rally on Capitol Hill calling for an end to fossil fuel subsidies just one of the multiple actions in Washington, D.C. this week, demanding bold climate provisions in federal infrastructure legislation. The memo also came as the extreme heat hit the Pacific Northwest, a fact that David V. Johnson, a former philosophy professor turned journalist, highlighted in a sarcastic tweet about the White House document 
Quote, It's 120 degrees in Portland. What market-based solutions can we bring to bear? Daniela Aldana Cohen, an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Pennsylvania, where he directs the Socio-Spatial Climate Collaborative, and co-author of the book A Planet to Win, Why We Need a Green New Deal, responded to the memo with a call to action. Quote, Pure climate denialism is this White House memo on current climate priorities, he said. Movements need to crank up the pressure. Hard. And on the climate front internationally, there was recently held an Austrian World Summit 2021. Greta Thunberg was given the opportunity to speak, and this is what she said. Thank you for having me. Tomorrow, 150 weeks will have passed since we started the school strike for the climate. And during this time, more and more people around the world have woken up to the climate and ecological crisis, putting more and more pressure on you, the people in power. Eventually, the public pressure was too much, and you had the world's eyes on you. So you started to act. Not acting as in taking climate action, but acting as in role-playing. <laughs> playing politics, playing with words, and playing with our future. Pretending to take responsibility, acting as saviors as you try to convince us that things are being taken care of. Meanwhile, the gap between your rhetorics and reality keeps growing wider and wider. And since the level of awareness is so low, you almost get away with it. But let's be clear, what you are doing is not about climate action or responding to an emergency. It never was. This is communication tactics dressed as politics, disguised as politics. You, especially leaders from high-income nations, are pretending to change and listen to the young people while you continue pretty much exactly like before. Pretending to take science seriously by saying science is back, while holding climate summits without even inviting one single climate scientist as speaker. Pretending to wage war against fossil fuels while opening up brand new coal mines, oil fields and pipelines. You don't only continue business as usual as before, in many cases you're even speeding up and scaling up the process. Pretending to have the most ambitious climate policies while granting new oil licenses, exploring future oil fields. Bragging about your so-called ambitious climate commitments, which if you look holistically are vastly insufficient, and then get caught not even trying to reach those targets. Pretending to care about nature and biodiversity while the world is cutting down a forest area the size of a football field every second. Pretending to be a climate leader while looking, locking in a future common agricultural policy that will make the Paris Agreement impossible to reach. Pretending that you will build back better after the pandemic, even though astronomical sums of money have already been locked in, and not in green projects, whatever green means. The G7, as an example, is spending billions more on fossil fuels and fossil fuel infrastructure than on clean energy. 
This you compensate with beautiful words and promises that someone in the future will somehow undo your actions and make them net zero. And when your empty words are not enough, when the protests grow too loud, you respond by making the protests illegal. Of course, we welcome all efforts to safeguard future and present living conditions, and these distant net zero emissions targets could be a great start if they weren't full of gaps and loopholes, like leaving out emissions from imported goods, international aviation and shipping, as well as the burning of biomass, using baseline manipulation, excluding most feedback loops and tipping points, ignoring the crucial aspect of equity and historic emissions, as well as making these targets completely relying on fantasy scale, currently barely existing negative emissions technologies. But as your acts continue, more and more of us are seeing through your manuscripts and your role-playing. The gap between your actions and words is becoming more impossible to ignore, while more and more extreme weather events are raging all around us. And as a result, young people all over this planet are no longer falling for your lies. You are distancing yourself further and further away from us and from reality. Some years ago, you could still claim that we're moving in the right direction. Today, that is no longer possible. 2021 is currently forecasted to be the year with the second highest emission rise ever. You say we need to move slowly to, peak, to bring the public along. However, how do you honestly expect to bring the people along if you don't treat this crisis like a crisis? If it is one thing the pandemic has proven once and for all, it is that the climate and ecological emergencies have never once been treated as emergencies. The climate crisis is today, at best, being treated only as a business opportunity to create new green jobs, new green businesses and technologies. As the pandemic unfolded, you did not say this will benefit the face mark manufacturing industry or this will create new jobs in healthcare and hospitals. Taking bold climate action will naturally bring many advantages and benefits. Yet, needless to say, we will not be able to solve a crisis we do not treat as a crisis and that we do not understand the magnitude of. Perhaps playing a role helps you sleep at night. Saying things just for the sake of it, because the words are in your scripts. But while you are busy working the stage, you seem to forget that the climate crisis is not something distant in the future. It is already taking so much from the most affected people in the most affected areas. This might just be a game to you, a game to win votes, popularity, points on the stock market, or your next high paid position in a company or lobbying firm. The ones who focus on the packaging rather than on the actual content, and the ones with the most beautiful speeches and the most short-sighted, likable policies, wins. You can and will, of course, choose to continue to play your parts, say your lines and wear your costumes. You can and will continue to pretend. But nature and physics will not fall for it. Nature and physics are not entertained nor distracted by your theater. The audience has grown wary. The show is over. Thank you. If only it were true, if only the show were over, the show will continue on 
But we, as the audience, need to continue the fight against the show. The show is not going to solve the problem. The show is lip service. The show is designed to uh, pacify the public so the rich can continue to profit. And it's successful. It's enormously successful. It's the reason that we're in the position that we're in right now. Um, between the, the government power and the media support of the government power and the political power of non-governmental entities, particularly corporations, and in some cases wealthy individuals, the people hardly have a chance. But we have a chance. It's just very narrow and very slim. And as Howard Zinn and others say, you know, the, the things, things don't happen from the top. They happen from the bottom when the people demand it. The show that is being put on is being put on because the people demanded it. We didn't demand the show. We demanded action. They realized they couldn't ignore our demands for action. But what they do understand and have understood for a long time is they very likely could quell those demands, pacify those demands by the show that they're putting on. The show that, that pretends and, and tries to make us believe that they're taking real actions that will have real positive results and positive consequences um, that at least is one step in the direction we need but as Greta said we need to tell them we we understand we realize that you're putting on a show the show is not enough you cannot convince us this time on this issue that your your fake platitudes of of support for turning the corner on climate change and the climate crisis is enough. We're not going back to sleep. You either do it, you either take the real action, or we will continue to fight. And so we continue to fight. Next up, is a piece published at truthout.org, written by Sharon Zhang. Progressive lawmakers joined Sunrise Movement activists in Washington, D.C. on Monday for a march demanding that President Joe Biden uphold his climate commitments in his infrastructure proposal and go bolder on climate and justice initiatives. Among the lawmakers joining the protesters was Representative Jamal Bowman, who delivered a powerful speech to protesters on the necessity of implementing robust climate and justice proposals in Democrats' infrastructure proposal. Quote, This is our moment. This is our time for a Green New Deal. This is our moment to rebuild our country, Bowman said to the crowd of activists outside the White House. The Sunrise Movement activists also called on Biden to establish a civilian climate core. Now is the moment where we have to go big, or go home, Bowman said. Bowman emphasized the importance of centering ra racial justice in the Democrats' proposal, pointing out that the New Deal sidelined workers in subjugated black communities. 
Now, he said, crumbling infrastructure leads to health problems and declining quality of life, especially in poorer neighborhoods. Quote, when the New Deal was implemented and we rebuilt America, we kept out care workers, we kept out farm workers, and we redlined black communities. And we freaking devalued those communities just because they were black, Bowman said with passion. In over 30 years, we gave over $200 billion in home loans to build the white suburbs, while black communities were left to suffer and claw and scratch and die. The speech came following Biden's many concessions to Republicans and moderate Democrats who have demanded that he make cut after cut to his infrastructure bill. Many climate advocates have warned that the bill is the president's only chance at reaching vital climate and emissions goals. In negotiations with the White House, lawmakers have removed climate proposals from the bill and have entirely excluded Biden's American Families Plan, which contained provisions like universal paid family leave and funding for child care. Republicans have also fought against justice proposals that the president had in the original version of the bill. What's left of Biden's $4 trillion plan to tackle infrastructure and the so-called caring economy? is a mere $579 billion, an investment that falls far short of what experts say is needed, even just for infrastructure revitalization. If you listen to my last episode, you heard that the Pentagon annually, and the broader, not just the Pentagon, but the broader, quote-unquote, national security funding for a year, is 1.3 trillion dollars and we're talking about biden settling for a 579 billion dollar program that is supposed to go across like 10 years or something quote there's another part of this that we don't talk about often bowman said not only did they redline black people they drafted us first for vietnam and then when we came back they didn't have no jobs for us but they had heroin for us, they had drugs for us, and they had fucking police for us. No jobs, but they had police. No jobs, but they had crack cocaine. They occupy our streets, they mass incarcerate us, but they leave us food insecure and transportation deserts and our buildings and schools falling apart, the lawmaker continued. We better go big and take it to another level. Bowman encouraged Sunrise protesters to continue to push Biden and politicians at all levels of government to fight for racial justice and climate action. Representatives Cory Bush and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez also joined the protesters. Quote, We don't know what the House and what the Senate and what the presidency is going to look like in 22 and 24, said Ocasio-Cortez, emphasizing the need for immediate action on infrastructure and climate and echoing the protesters' call for a civilian climate corps. What we know right now is that we have a window of opportunity. Yeah, a window of opportunity. Let's make sure we take the opportunity and don't just put up some window dressing. Next up is a piece written by Molly Taft, published at gizmodo.com. Exxon lobbyists reveal in secret recordings how they manipulate politicians and the public. Well, this is really no surprise, uh, but I have a little segment for this. It's called Names and Addresses. And if there's a hall of shame, certainly should not be 
Hall of Fame. If there's a Hall of Shame, uh, Exxon Mobil certainly would be one of the first inductees. One of the first times I talked to Judy Berry on the phone, and I had never met her, I said, Judy, you know, the earth is not dying. It's being killed. And the people who are killing it have names and addresses. What I mean by that is through power structure research, through hunting very carefully, we can find out the names and addresses of the people who really have their foot on our necks, the people who are really causing the damage. And then nonviolently, my vision, my dream is that thousands, thousands, millions of people go to those homes, go to the places where they shop, go to the places where they take their vacations, sit in the doorways, lie in front of the cars, and when we're hauled away to jail, other people take their place. Surround them, put them in jail. Oh yes, I know, it's an air-conditioned jail and the food's pretty good, but they're in lager, they're surrounded, like it, like in uh, Montreal, um, like at Genoa. They're behind the barbed wire, they're behind the concrete. We've got them in prison, we've got to understand that they're afraid of us all right let's make sure that they can't enjoy their ill-gotten gain two lobbyists for exxon have been caught on tape admitting how the company manipulates politicians and the public among the damning admissions are that the company views its advocacy for a carbon tax as little more than quote an advocacy tool and that it once funded, quote, shadow groups to fight climate science. When it comes to oil and gas majors, getting a peek at the internal workings of a company past its PR-heavy facade is rare. But the new investigation conducted by Unearthed, the investigative arm of Greenpeace UK, provides a revealing peek behind the curtain of secrecy to show how big oil operates to game the system. To set up the sting, representatives from Unearthed posed as recruitment consultants looking to hire a D.C. lobbyist for a major client. They then had Zoom calls with two senior Exxon staffers, Keith McCoy, Exxon Senior Director of Federal Relations, and Dan Easley, who formerly worked as an executive branch and regulatory team lead for Federal Relations. The Unearthed team asked both men about their time at Exxon and the company's lobbying on environmental issues while secretly recording both calls, which took place in April and May. Footage of the interviews was released to the UK's Channel 4, which aired it on Wednesday. A chief talking point of the two interviews was a recent work Exxon did lobbying against President Joe Biden's American Jobs Plan, which, in its original form, proposed a slew of groundbreaking climate initiatives. Well, I'm not sure they were groundbreaking, but they were there were some strong stuff in there. The plan also called for cranking up the corporate tax rate to pay for those initiatives, sending major businesses and corporate lobbying groups into a panic. Exxon, it seems, is no exception. Quote, we're playing defense on the bill, McCoy told the unearthed interviewers in his May conversation, according to a transcript provided by Greenpeace, before rattling off the lawmakers from both parties he'd been talking to about the bill. He boasted about his relationship with certain lawmakers as well. Among those mentioned are fossil fuel heavy hitters like Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and Republican Senators John Cornyn and John Barrasso. In his interview, Easley seemed to see beyond the corporate tax rate to what a groundbreaking piece of climate infrastructure legislation like the original American Jobs Plan could mean for a fossil fuel giant. The bill, Easley said, is, quote, 
going to be replete with provisions that will be difficult for oil and gas, including a whole host of new environmental requirements and procurement requirements, requirements for federal government to purchase green energy and renewable technologies and retrofitting federal buildings. It's going to accelerate the transition to the extent that I think four years from now, it's going to be difficult to unwind that. So we're all living in a different world, and that's why we see oil and gas companies with unclear carbon emissions. The interviews also gave a glimpse of how the fossil fuel industry really views some of its most recent pro-climate PR moves. After years of lobbying against actual proposals for a carbon tax, many oil majors and affiliated groups have done an about-face on the policy. Exxon is among the founding members of the Climate Leadership Council, a group that backs a carbon tax. More recently, the American Petroleum Institute, of which Exxon is a member, announced in March that it would support government-instituted carbon tax. McCoy was at Exxon when the company initially rolled out its support for a carbon tax in 2017. During his Zoom interview, he called a carbon tax an advocacy tool and a great talking point. Quote, Nobody is going to propose a tax on all Americans, and the cynical side of me says, yeah, we kind of know that, but it gives us a talking point that we can say, well, what is ExxonMobil for? We're for a carbon tax, McCoy said. McCoy also told interviewers that Exxon had poured money into, quote, shadow groups in order to fight against climate science. According to Greenpeace's release, this marks the first time that a sitting executive at Exxon had admitted to the company's role in funding dark money denier efforts. There's nothing illegal about that, McCoy helpfully noted. We're looking out for our investments. We're looking out for our shareholders. No matter how much Exxon wants you to think that they care about the climate crisis, this shows as clear as day that the tiger hasn't changed its stripes, Charlie Kronick, a senior climate campaigner with Greenpeace UK, said in a release. The oil giant is still using every trick in the lobbyist playbook to weaken or derail climate action in the U.S. We now know for sure that Exxon's support for a carbon tax is just a cynical ploy based on their belief that it will never happen. A spokesperson for Exxon told Channel 4 that the company stands by its position on corporate taxes in the American Jobs Plan and supporting a carbon tax. They also said Exxon has, quote, supported climate science for decades and would like other options to reach the goals of the parent agreement, including lower carbon fuels and other sector-based approaches that would, that would place a uniform, predictable cost on carbon. Exxon has for a long time been qualitatively and quantitatively the oil major that has been the slowest to adjust to changing energy markets, and it pioneered climate denial and has mastered the art of delay, even as it knew the risks of its products. There's a reason that the investors threw a coup last month and put three new members on Exxon's board, including longtime oil and gas executive, in a move seen as shocking and progressive. The company has been that bad at getting its act together. But as more and more of the world's oil majors throw money into advertising and new language to convince us that they're doing everything they can, really, to fix the mess they've made, these interviews provide an important reminder that it's still largely window dressing. When it comes to Exxon, the company's oil-driven profits have always been its bottom line, and it looks like that's not changing anytime soon. 
And finally, a piece by Tina Gerhardt, this published at Progressive.org. The good news? The climate crisis is finally taking center stage. The bad news? Net zero, if it consists of hollow pledges, will not solve it. Action during this decade to reduce carbon emissions is crucial to protect the planet from global warming. The Paris Agreement calls for an 80% reduction of carbon emissions by 2030 on a 2005 baseline to prevent global warming beyond 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Academics, activists, non-governmental organizations, policymakers, and scientists alike have expressed concerns that net zero pledges from governments and corporations do not add up to achieve the pledges of the Paris Agreement. The industries include agriculture and aviation, finance and fossil fuels, as well as retail and technology. In January 2021, the Sierra Club published a report highlighting how the climate pledges of utility companies in the United States do not meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. Last fall, Oil Change International published a report, supported by numerous other organizations, presenting how the commitments of the oil industry do not hold water. Companies often use accounting tricks to meet their climate commitments. These tricks include carbon offsets, such as tapping trees or oceans, or new technological innovations, such as carbon removal schemes. In April 2021, Robert Watson, previously chair of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, co-authored an article with two other scientists which called net zero, quote, a dangerous trap set by governments and corporations, and, quote, a blank check for the continued burning of fossil fuels and the acceleration of habitat destruction. The problem with net zero is that it focuses on offsets rather than carbon emissions reductions. It allows carbon emissions to continue, and it allows business as usual to continue. It is a delay tactic that the fossil fuel industries have mastered. As many activists have been arguing for decades, to avert current global warming requires system change, not climate change. Another issue of concern regarding emissions pledges is the lack of interim targets. If the goal is to reduce emissions by X amount by, say, 2030, what is a benchmark for progress for 2022, for 2023, etc., and who is going to check it? Many companies also put forward climate pledges they plan to make by 2050, which is too far out given what current science calls for. Action this decade is crucial. A newly released report titled The Big Con, How Big Polluters Are Advancing a Net Zero Climate Agenda to Delay, Deceive, and Deny, was published by Corporate Accountability, Friends of the Earth International, and the Global Forest Coalition. The report was endorsed by more than 60 environmental organizations, including the Institute for Policy Studies, Oil Watch, and the Third World Network. The report calls attention to what it calls Big Polluters' Dangerous Distractions, which include geoengineering technologies and deeply flawed schemes. The technologies include biomass or bioenergy deriving energy from natural sources, including the burning of trees, and carbon capture and storage, sucking up CO2 from the air and storing it in the ground. 
Co-author Coriana de la Plaza, climate campaigner for Global Forest Coalition, says, quote, We are deeply concerned about the corporate capture of climate policies and finance and the growing nexus between governments and corporations to promote false solutions through net zero. Instead of deep emissions cuts, they continue to pursue green neo-colonial offsetting schemes to reap more profits and pollute through forest offsets, afforestation, reforestation, tree plantations, and dangerous techno-fixes. This net-zero circus has to stop. The planet and people need real and ambitious targets and commitments. Real emissions. People in so-called developing countries, many of which have already been disproportionately experiencing the effects of climate change, are impacted more intensely by carbon offset projects as they are pushed off-land for tree plantations. As Mina Rahman, with endorsing organization Third World Network, put it, quote, As big polluters hide behind false claims of supporting climate action, they are planning to do more damage by pushing carbon offset projects in developing countries, leading to more forest and land grabs. Such efforts promote climate injustice and will impact the poor communities and indigenous peoples in the global south. This has to stop. It does. The question is how. Globally, there is not enough land available to accommodate the plans of governments and corporations to plant trees as offsets. Net zero also exacerbates global and historical inequities. It allows nations and corporations in the global north to continue to burn fossil fuels while using forests and land in the global south as a carbon sink. Quote, Proclamations of net zero targets are dangerous deceptions, says Liddy Naspiel, coordinator of the Asian People's Movement on Debt and Development. Net zero sounds ambitious and visionary, but it actually allows big polluters and rich governments to continue emitting greenhouse gases, which they claim will be erased through unproven and dangerous technologies, carbon trading, and offsets that shift the burden of climate action to the global south. As she sees it, big polluters and rich governments should not only reduce emissions to real zero, they must pay reparations for the huge climate debt owed to the global south. So what is the solution? Emissions need to be cut to a real zero, not a net zero. Additionally, climate justice and social justice, meaning both historical and present day, need to be centered. That means nations and corporations disproportionately responsible for emissions should take historical inequities into account and make even more ambitious, commensurate efforts to reduce emissions. The report reminds, quote, just 100 corporations are responsible for 70% of historical emissions. Lastly, wealthier nations and countries should fund efforts of nations and communities experiencing the impacts the most but least able financially to address them. Obviously, neither of the latter two efforts should count towards the need to cut emissions to what is needed, real zero. Quote, People around the globe have already made their demands clear, notes the Big Con report. Leaders can listen to the people and once and for all prioritize people's lives and the planet over engines of profit and destruction. To avoid social and planetary collapse, they must heed the calls of millions of people around the globe and pursue policy, policies that justly 
equitably transition our economies off of fossil fuels and advance real solutions that prioritize life now. And that will wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral. Remember, if you want to follow on Twitter, just go to YCB Neutral. You can find out more with all the back episodes at youcantbeneutral.com. You can also listen to this podcast and all my other podcasts playing 24-7 at Moving Train Radio. Now, a moment of Zen. Thanks for listening. So yes, the history is, is useful. Uh, and and uh, not the history that you get in the traditional textbooks, uh, but the history that a, a citizen learns for himself or herself when a citizen goes to the library or when a citizen listens to the independent media, when a citizen reads alternative uh, journals instead of simply you know, watching CNN you know, and Fox News. So yes, history is very useful. It still is today. And I think that one of the things we might learn from history, and this is a very, very important conclusion to get from the long history of this country, is that the government's interests are not necessarily the same as ours. In fact, are rarely the same as ours. Uh, because if you think that the government's interests are the same as yours, then you think, well, if something is going wrong, it must be that they made a mistake because they really care about us. They don't care about us. The government does not care about its own soldiers. If it did, it would not send its soldiers into the quagmires of Vietnam and Iraq. It would not send them into a situation where they're going to come back maimed or without arms or legs, or they come back with their psyche destroyed if they really cared about the soldiers and cared about the families of the soldiers. It would not be taking the, the wealth of this country and squandering it on $500 billion this year on, on a military budget. Uh, that's a hard thing to grasp, that the government does not have the same interest as us. It's hard to grasp because we grow up in a culture where the language of the culture predisposes us to think, yes, we have a common interest. The, the Constitution starts off in a preamble, we the people of the United States, you know, establishes. It wasn't we the people who established the Constitution. It was 55 rich white men.